Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, two verses I'd like to read in your hearing. Verse 1. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die and there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. And we could read on and on about this. And it goes from one extreme to the other. It goes from the beginning of something to the end of something, but the thing that we have to remember is that to everything, there is a time and there is a purpose under heaven. Let everything that hath breath. I don't feel I'm worthy. Well, you're at least a thing. Let everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. That's your purpose. It's one of your purposes. And today I want to preach to you for a few minutes on this subject. I'm being positioned for his purpose. I'm being positioned for his purpose. God bless you. You may be seated. The scripture talks about the extremes in Ecclesiastes. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. But what happens in between those two great events? You are being positioned for your purpose. From the time that a seed is planted in the ground until it yields a great harvest of corn, it is positioning and its purpose will be fulfilled. The greatest of all the apostles was Paul. He wrote 14 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the Bible said that he was the chief of all sinners. He was the worst that God could find. And, and he fought and persecuted the church and had believers cast into prison. He didn't matter if they were women or children. He had them all thrown in if they professed to be Christians. He made havoc of the church. He was feared by the church. And yet he was being positioned for the purpose in the church. Now, a shepherd has a staff with a crook on the end of it by which he can pull under a sheep or a lamb's neck to pull it back into its proper place or position. He also has a rod which he uses to defeat the things that would come against the sheep, like a wolf or a lion or things like that. And he also occasionally even taps the sheep, taps him, doesn't beat him, but taps him on the nose to get his attention. But the other thing that a shepherd has is he has a long stick with a sharp object on the end of it that is called a prick. And if that sheep is not going the way that the shepherd wants it to go and it's not paying attention, he just pokes it in the rump or in the flank of its leg on the side and the animal will go 
to the opposite side. That's how it knows it's getting out of its position and needs to be put back in its position. One day, this great apostle that we knew as Saul at the time that the Lord spoke to him was knocked down on the road and and the Lord said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. I've been poking at you for a long time, but you're not paying any attention. So today, I am going to knock you down on the road and I am going to cause you to be blind and you will not see until I send a man of God to you. And then your eyes will be open and you'll know your purpose. So while Saul was being knocked down on the road to Damascus as the chief of all sinners, what was the Lord doing? He was about to position him for his purpose. And if the Lord can save such a wicked, evil sinner as Saul and turn him into a Paul, Maybe the difficulties that we go through in our life should be recognized as God's positioning for our purpose. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Let me talk to you about a man by the name of Joseph who had wonderful dreams and visions. The first dream he had was that the wheat became sheaves and bowed down to his sheaf. And then he had another dream that the stars and even the sun and the moon bowed down and and they worshiped him. His vision was that one day he would be a ruler and things and people would be subject to him. Wouldn't you like to have that vision and that dream? You are destined for greatness, Joseph. You are going to be great for God. If that's all there is to positioning, then explain to me, please, why Joseph is next found in a pit. He goes from the sun and the moon to underneath the earth. What are you doing in my life, God? If I'm destined for this greatness, if you've given me these visions, what am I doing in this position? Why am I having this trouble and this difficulty in my life? I'm positioning you. I'm putting you where you need to be so I can take you where I want you to go. Do you think Joseph understood at that time why he had went from the sun and the moon to a pit? I don't think so. I think it was disappointing. It was discouraging. And the discouragement and the disappointment came from his own brothers. It didn't come from the Ishmaelites. It came from his own family. I want you to know there's going to be times of discouragement, disillusionment, confusion in your life. You're going to wonder why people that you thought should support you are not while even at times they are making things more difficult for you, do not lose sight of what God has called you to be and where he promised to take you because you are only being positioned for his purpose. Just when you thought that 
It could get worse or it could get better. It got worse. They brought him out of the pit and the Ishmaelites took him to Egypt. And there he became a slave. I thought I was going to be a ruler, Lord. I thought I was going to be in this big position where people were going to listen to me and bow down to me, where I was going to be in control, where I was going to be the leader, and here I am the least of society. I'm not even a part of society. I'm a slave to society. This ain't working out so well, Lord. Well, you don't think so? You know what? It can get worse. How about being framed for a rape that you didn't commit and we'll throw you into prison? I think you're getting my point, so I don't want to belabor it. But the point is this. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes things go the exact opposite of what you thought they were going to be. And even what God promised in your life. God promised you to be victorious and you feel defeated. God promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you and you feel alone. God promised you greatness in your family and your family has rejected you. Whether they're the family of God or your natural family. And you're disappointed. And you're disillusioned. But you're being positioned for his purpose. Joseph kept his attitude and his spirit while he was being positioned. And when he had a chance to get even, when it was payback time, I want you to read what happened between he and his brothers. Genesis 45, verse four. And Joseph said unto his brethren, now that you know that I'm the one that rules in Egypt, I'm the one that controls the food, I'm second only to Pharaoh. Now that you know that my purpose is being fulfilled, he said to his brethren, come unto me, I pray you. And they came and said, he said unto them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. Do you know when they heard those words, the fear that came into their hearts? This man has the power to kill us right now. He has every right to take vengeance on us for all that we've done to him for these many years. But listen to what he says to them. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. He positioned me to save all of us. Let me say this about Joseph, and maybe it'll spur some thinking in your mind, and you can discuss it with me later if you disagree. But I believe that Joseph was a savior to the world. That if he hadn't had the vision and the interpretation of a dream, that all of them would have starved to death. They'd have had their seven years of plenty and they'd have ate it up. And when the seven years of famine came, they all would have starved to death. Except that God 
was positioning one man for a world purpose. What about Jesus? Do you ever think about Jesus and some of the things that he went through? Think, he knew his purpose. There's no question about that. Take a look at this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew 1, 21. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. What's his purpose? He shall save his people from their sins. He never lost sight of his purpose. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Take a look at Luke chapter four and verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This is what I'm going to do. This is my purpose. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's my purpose. But what about your positioning, Jesus? What about the religious leaders that turned on you? What about those that considered you a threat, that called the gospel that you were preaching heresy, that mocked you and taunted you and got you before people and asked difficult questions, hoping that they could embarrass you? What about the Pharisees and the scribes that tattled on you to the Romans and tried to get you crucified because of their jealousy of your power and of your authority? You were stepping into their arena and they wanted you out. What did you consider that to be? Positioning. Because I know where I'm going to end my ministry and it's going to be on a cross And they're a part of my positioning. Judas, the one that betrayed. Let me me give you a thought on Judas. Do you know why Judas betrayed the Lord? Because he controlled the finances of Jesus and the disciples. He's the one that held the bag. And did you know that if you read in the Gospels, it will even say that Jesus knew that he occasionally took some out for himself. He knew he was dipping into the funds, so to speak. And you know what he did about it? Nothing. And then one day, because Judas controlled the bag, there was a woman that broke an alabaster box worth one year's wages, broke the box, poured the ointment over his head, washed his head and feet with her tears and the oil and her hair. And it was said, what a waste. We could have put that money in the fund. I'd have had a lot more money in the bag. And it grieved him so much that he decided he'd betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. God Why do you allow these people to do these terrible things in the Lord's life? Because it's part of the positioning that will fulfill God's purpose. Why does God allow things to happen in your life? 
and my life that we don't like. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I'm trying to serve God, Brother Kylie. I'm trying to be a person of integrity. I'm trying to do the right thing. I, I'm even trying to work with difficult people. Why doesn't everything go my way? Why doesn't God just say, you know what? Here's somebody I just, I, I want to bless this guy. And yet sometimes we feel like we're the ones that get the short end of the stick. They're blessed and they got money and they got things. They go to bed at night and they don't worry about things and, and we're worried about making a mortgage payment or a car payment or whether or not things are gonna work out in our business. What is that all about, Lord? Here's the answer, folks. Those things keep you close to God. They keep you in your proper position. You know that without God, you have and are nothing. The rest of the world is nothing too. It's just that they don't know it. Because the moment that they die, they have nothing but judgment. And you have everything. Everything changes at death. But in life, the difficult things we go through, has anybody in this house ever offered this kind of a prayer? Lord, whatever it takes to save my soul, let it come on my life. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? I mean, is, is being with Jesus and eternity with him number one on your list? And so whatever you have to go through to get there, are you saying, God, go ahead? I have. But be careful. Even if you don't pray it, he's gonna do it anyway, so you might as well concede. <laughs> it's better off to say, hey, whatever you have to do. But it is a part of your positioning. Let me give you another example. Jesus said in 1 John 3 and 8, what is happening in Jesus' life? He that committed sin is of the devil. The devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. This is 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose, the Son of God would manifest it that he might destroy the works of the devil. He had a purpose. And that was to redeem us. Does anybody here remember when you first came to know the Lord? Think back, I want you to put your thinking caps on just for a minute. What was going on in your life when you first decided you were gonna maybe pray, maybe visit a church, maybe you even came to this church? Were you in great shape? Were you on the top of the world? Did you feel like you didn't need anybody? Or maybe, maybe it was this way because it was this way for me. Maybe there were some problems in your marriage. Maybe you were struggling financially. Maybe you didn't have a job. Maybe you were just lonely, unhappy. Did you know Listen to this, and it's very important you get this. People that are depressed and suicidal are that way for this reason. 
They have no one to hope in and no one to live for. A Christian should not be depressed or suicidal because we have a hope and we have someone to live for. We do. We have a purpose. Our life has a meaning. Now, when we came to God in those situations, we wanted God to reposition us. We wanted help with our marriage and help with our finances and and a reason for living. We actually were kind of telling God what he needed to do. And he began to work in our lives. Can I get an amen to that? He began to work in our marriages and and with the problems that we had. He was moving us to greener pastures. He was becoming our shepherd. And that was all great because we were totally on the receiving end of everything. God began to bless your finances. You learned how to budget. You learned how to give. You learned how to worship. But then God came along and said, I have blessed you because I love you, but I want you to know what my purpose is for your life. And things became clear to you as to what God wanted. See, everybody's gotta have a reason for living. You know what's, I'm gonna talk from a man's perspective. You know what's discouraging to a man? What's discouraging to a man is to say, you know what my life is? I get up every morning, I go to work, I work hard all day, I put up with all the grief, I try to provide for my family, I come home, I eat my supper, I'm so exhausted that I go to bed. And the next day I get up, and it's the same thing, day after day after day. That's a life without purpose. We say, my purpose is to provide for my family. Your life is a lot more than that. There's a lot more to this than just making money. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why, out of six billion people, did God choose me? Do you ever think of it that way? Why you? What's special about you? God needs to reveal that to us, reveal his purpose. I remember being in that situation. The things that I talked about earlier, I had stopped going to church. I was, I was 22 years old, got married when I was 19. Liz was three months out of high school. We were bored with church, so we just stopped going. We tried to be Christians in our character, but not only had we drifted away from what we had previously believed, we were actually drifting apart, doing our own thing. But when things began to go south, I remember specifically being in an apartment building and kneeling down by my bed The National Guard was going to send me to Vietnam. 
The bill collectors were going to send me to the poorhouse. I remember getting cheese and milk in a food line. Anybody ever remember those days? That's why I'm glad for a food pantry. I've been there, folks. Sign up. Well, how much money do you make? And all that stuff you got to go through. And you feel almost naked and embarrassed about your situation. I remember those days. You don't want the phone to ring because it's somebody else telling you that you're late on a payment. You don't want to go to the mailbox because you know the bills are there and they're threatening to take this and take that. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the position? Listen, do you remember the position you were in when God found you and you found him? It wasn't a very good position. And I knelt down next to that bed and I made my first deal with God. And I'm not even a salesman. But I said, I need to make a deal. I knelt down, knelt down next to my bed, put my hands on it, bowed my head and said, Lord, I have made a total mess out of my life and I have nobody to blame but me. But if you will help me, I will do whatever you tell me to do. Do you remember anybody ever being in this position? Willing to make that kind of a deal? I remember. And that's a position that God can begin to work from in your life. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue. It's only a question. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. And you can fight all you want. And, and say that you don't believe in God. And you don't need God. But I promise you. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Is Lord. And when you put yourself in your proper place and you get in the right position, God can begin to work in your life. It's what it took for Saul and it's what it's gonna take for you. I leave you with one more thought. Esther. Esther was Jewish. She was married to a shurious an evil and wicked king. She was a queen, but she was still a Jew. And apparently he did not even know she was a Jew. He just saw her beauty and he wanted her to wife, so he made her a queen. And she had an uncle and his name was Mordecai. And of course he was Jewish too. But Mordecai had an enemy, a powerful influence in Assyrius' court. His name was Haman. And Haman hated the Jews. And he wanted to destroy every one of them. Starting with Mordecai. 
And his idea was to go and petition the king for the destruction of all Jews that didn't worship what and the way that his people worshiped. Mordecai got, got wind of that. And so he got the message to Esther. And here's the message. Esther 4 and 13. Think not with thyself that you will escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come unto the kingdom for this purpose? For such a time as this, there is definitely a purpose for you being the queen. Now notice two things that Mordecai said. Number one, you have the opportunity to make a difference. But if you don't, God will send somebody else. There will be another deliverer. But you and your father will die. And God put you in this position, Esther. And when she heard that, she got all of her handmaids together and said, we're going on a fast. We're going to pray. She didn't say, I'm going right now to talk to the king. Oh, I hope you heard that. We are in a spiritual battle, folks. We think we're dealing with people. We're dealing with spirits. And that spirit is on people. And the only way you can do spiritual warfare is through prayer and fasting and worship. That brings God's power and God's authority and God does the work because the battle is not ours, but the battle is the Lord's. And so we go to prayer and we go to fasting. What time is prayer tomorrow night? We're going to spiritual warfare tomorrow night. And that's what she said she was gonna do. Now watch what happens after she announces her declaration. Esther chapter six. One night, the king could not sleep and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written in the chronicles that Mordecai had told of Bignathia and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, sought to lay hand on King Assyrius. They were going to try and kill him. The king said, well, what honor and what dignity has been given for Mordecai? Then the king's servants ministered unto him and said, there's nothing done for him. And the king said, well, who's in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman stands in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king shall delight to honor? Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than me? So Haman answered the king, 
For the man whom the Lord King delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king uses to wear, and a horse that the king rides on, and the crown which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor. And bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the Lord King delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, take the apparel, the horses you have said, do even to Mordecai, the Jew that sits at the king gate, and let nothing fail of all that you have spoken. What had happened? God woke up a wicked king and brought to his attention the goodness of Mordecai and promoted him just as God had promoted Joseph to the second position in Egypt. Now Mordecai is promoted to position number two and the Jews are spared and Haman is hung on his own gallows. Don't tell me that there's something the Lord can't do. Don't say that God can't wake up a wicked king, a president, senators, government. Don't tell me there's anything that God can't do. He can wake them up. He can give them dreams and visions. He can turn their heart. The Bible said the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. But if my people, that's what God's waiting on. He's waiting for his people to get in proper position. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and Heal their land. Let's stand together. God is positioning us for his purpose. Can I say this to employers? I know we have several employers. I'm not singling any of them out. I know most, I, well, I know them all. They're, they're good men and they're men of integrity. And this is what I know about them. They don't just hire people. They hire candidates for the kingdom. God speaks to them. They may not even be the most talented in the group, but God says, hire that one. And they do. You know why? So that they and the employees of that company can help that person find their position and fulfill God's purpose. The people you and I work with are candidates for the kingdom of God. They might not be in a good position right now, but neither were you. Don't forget where you were when God saved you. They may be there now. They're being positioned 
for his purpose. And finally today, as I invite you to this altar, get in the right position to hear from God. Don't fold your arms and look down your nose at people and stand there like a rock. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Know your proper position when you approach the king. When the king comes into the room, he stands up and we bow down so that we are positioned to hear his purpose. Are you hearing me today? Jesus, I know there are people here today that are struggling in their life. They've got all kinds of problems and difficulty, but you brought them to this house today to give them a message. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.